I think yeah, two, three years' time, uh, EPDs will just be standard part of the conversation and actually not having one puts you at a disadvantage. Kia ora, I'm Troy, here as CEO and welcome to Stirring the Pot. Thanks for connecting. If you're new, here's what you can expect. We're going to be talking the tough stuff, the things that keep us metalheads up at night. There are many challenges facing our industry and equally many opinions on how we should tackle them. Stirring the Pot provides a facilitated forum to discuss and challenge these viewpoints. So let's get to the nuts and bolts of it. Today our conversation is with New Zealand Steel Environmental Manager Claire Jewell and Fletcher Steel Marketing and Innovation Manager Scott Morrison. We'll be delving into their work in environmental product declarations, or EPDs for short, the process they've gone through to achieve them and the benefits of doing so. Claire, we'll start with you. Can you give us a uh, brief overview of what an EPD is? So an EPD is a standardised and verified way of quantifying the environmental impacts of a product. Um, And it's based on a consistent rules um, for a product category. And what what data is actually included in in an EPD? So there's a whole range of data included in our EPDs, right from the um, raw materials supplied uh, through to the um, inputs into the production process, such as utilities, the process consumables, uh, and then also the emissions from the process, so air to water and to land. And what is the um, process involved in obtaining one and how is it um, maintained as independent? So it's a it's a very rigorous process. Uh, for us, it involved around four years of collation of data for essentially an input-output model, which is your life cycle inventory. Um, and it's uh, we decided from the outset to engage uh, an, a consultant who is experienced um, in, in the process of developing an EPD. Um, so we had a team of uh, our own engineers, technical people and environmental team collating the data um, and fortunately we had systems in place already collating data uh, so it was a matter of then um, putting it into the process uh, the, or the database that the consultant maintained um, and then there were various check steps uh, and also third-party verification. Is there a international standard that's used as the base reference? Yes, yes there is. Uh, so there's a base, um, base standard uh, ISO 14025 um, and that outlines the framework for developing an environmental product declaration. And then there are supporting standards um, related to the construction um, services and, and products specifically and also around uh, developing a, an, or undertaking a life cycle assessment. And what products do New Zealand Steel and Pacific Steel have EPDs for? So for New Zealand Steel, it's our Colour Steel Endura and Colour Steel Max products. And for our sister company, Pacific Steel, it's their seismic reinforcing rod and bar and coil and wire. Mm-hmm. And Scott, uh, moving to you, what products does PCC have an EPD for? Uh, we have the uh, EPDs for the pre-painted products, metal products, um, for the colour coat brands. Uh, so the three brands of Zinacore, Magnaflow and Illumigard. Um, we also have a same one but for Australian consumption as well for our export market. And how are EPDs used in uh, green procurement and building assessment schemes in New Zealand? At this stage, it's very much in its early stages um, in terms of the awareness of EPDs. However, in terms of 
some of the common schemes, say uh, Homestar and, and Greenstar, they have facilities to recognise EPDs um, and at paying credits. Um, and that itself is driving that awareness of EPDs as a document to be used at that specification design stage. Uh, and that, that, yeah, the Homestar and Greenstar tends to be the one that's driving most of it. How can you use an EPD to actually tell if a product's environmentally preferable? There's an awful lot of data in an EPD. There's no, no denying that. But it's, it's much like a, um, like a food nutritional label on, on your food. It's a standardised format using uh, product category rules, standardised way of getting that data, and that allows people to actually compare like for like and make a, a value decision. Uh, the care needs to be taken that you are using the same product category rules, but certainly it's the best way, in my opinion, that you can actually compare two common standard products from an environmental perspective. And the way that the data is structured is essentially the uh, the most important data is at the top of the page there. Yeah. And how do EPDs link in with building information management, BIM? At this stage, um, the BIM subsystem is is adopting the EPD data, so we are seeing evidence from architects where they are driving into the to the BIM and where EPDs are available. That information is being pulled through, and that's assisting their decision making abilities. Um, I would have to say that we're probably New Zealand is a little bit behind Australia in that regard, and that's just a familiarity, and that will grow as ED, EPDs become more common and more people are more aware of them. Are EPD requirements aligned globally? Can you compare an EPD for a New Zealand um, product or specification to something from another country? Like for like, there's a high degree of compatibility. Uh, again, I come back, it's it's hard to compare, say, steel versus um, wood composites, kind of. Two different materials, you're not really doing it, but steel... If it's followed and it's got the same PCR, the product category rule, there's no reason why you can't compare them like for like. Yeah, it sounds like it is a lot of work if it's taken four years, for example, for New Zealand steel. How rigorous and onerous um, is the process for you to get your EPD verified? Maybe starting with you, Claire. Yeah, well, it was a, a very rigorous um, process, but there's benefits um, in that as well and to ensure the integrity of the EPD. Um, also, the, the benefit for our business was being able to identify hotspots hot where potentially we could make uh, improvements um, and also just to understand the environmental impacts in a, in a different way beyond the compliance and the consenting, uh, which, we, which we have in place. Mm. And what about you there, Scott? For us, it was certainly time-consuming. Um, for us, essentially, a, lot, a part of the production process is the painting pot. So we had to go to our suppliers from around the world and get their data, and that was a time-consuming process. Some were quite amenable to it. Some were didn't understand what we were asking for, and essentially we, we got the data. Um, in terms of the verification process, um, we viewed that as being vitally important, and uh, that way we actually ended up choosing the same people that New Zealand Steel uh, used because we figured that they were the subject matter expert. Um, and that was our choice. And we think in terms of consist consistency across the, the EPDs, we wanted to get the, the, the technical people who actually understood it. And um, 
was actually a little bit easier for us because they went first. <laughs> <laughs> do you think it's something that smaller companies can do or is it really something you'd have to have a lot of resourcing to actually undertake? I actually think smaller companies can do it. Um, essentially, it's a data collection um, exercise. And as I pointed out for us, we were only a small part of the actual product manufacturing sense. We obviously have a, have a bigger uh, supply chain that they control. Um, so th there's no reason why um, smaller companies can't pull this information in as required. They'd have lesser inputs and, and yeah, outputs yeah. as well, and then the base materials um, in some cases would they would already be an EPD. So, yeah. for example, if it was steel going into the, mm -hmm. the manufacture of a product, there has been a lot of focus recently, particularly in the media, around embodied carbon in um, buildings. What do you think is the importance of life cycle analysis versus embodied carbon? At, you know, at one point in time analysis? So generally the life cycle goes um, beyond uh, embodied carbon. Um, for us it, in, it included the raw materials, so from cradle um, right through to the uh, to the steel mill gate and then it, it encompassed um, end-of-life processing and, and recycling and yes, yeah, as I said, it covered more than just uh, embodied carbon and that had value um, not only for our customers and end users but as I said also uh, for um, looking at improvements and, and our process. Absolutely, I'd support that. The whole process of going through this life cycle analysis identifies, to your point, of the hotspots and where you can improve um, from a simple cost app perspective, and let alone environmental improvements. Uh, so it's it's a fantastic process to go through. We we, we learnt a lot, uh, as I said, because we've got suppliers from all over the world, and we understood sort of the concept of carbon miles was fascinating for us to explore. Uh, but certainly, yeah, the embodied carbon, let's be honest, steel has a dense embodied carbon. So for those of us who sell this material, really we're looking to how can we use this material in a product, in a solution, which as part of the bigger picture is beneficial. I mean, if we can use steel as a product which reduces the amount of operational carbon over the life cycle of a building, that's a fantastic discussion to have. Having the EPD data supports us having that discussion. For me, I think embodied carbon discussions only tell a small part of a bigger picture. And if we t start talking about circular economy, then we're getting a bigger context around the environmental impact yeah. as a whole. How much uh, is the circular economy becoming a conversation piece within your organisations? I can probably put a Fletcher building hat on here and say, uh, yes, very much so. We're, the concept of actually, we're not just building buildings, we need to understand what happens, things like design versus assembly, uh, some of the materials that we're using, how, we, how they're put together. And also, really, um, it's more of a focus on uh, what's the, the provenance of the supply chain. Uh, we went through, I was looking at an RFP, a queue for a project down in uh, the South Island, where the, the um, operator, the owner, is asking all sorts of sustainable questions, EPDs, and it's more than just they want steel to be delivered at the site at this time and it's got to be this type of steel. They want to know where the steel has come from. They want to know how many kilometres has come from the factory to the to the, the site. They want to understand how many people have been involved. They're, they're, it's really quite an in-depth interrogation of the supply chain. Now, I've come from other industries where that's almost more common, and I, but I wonder now, it's going to be a real good change, a game changer for the construction industry to actually sort of push back up that supply chain and understand the materials that they're using and that they're not just commodities. 
I think that um, there are many ways to measure your environmental performance. What do you think the benefits of APDs are? For me, it just allows people to have a, an honest conversation about, based on fact, and strip out a number of the perceptions around the product itself. It's just, here's the facts. It's, it's brutally scientific in terms of the data there, it's, and um, it allows people to have good discussions as opposed to, there are say, some other industries where, I'll say, I'll say it, tobacco, where they spent 10 years trying to prove it didn't, wasn't a problem and they spent another 20 years saying it was a problem but it's not as bad kind of thing. All this disinformation, EVDs just lay it on the table, let's have a good open conversation. And I think it's a sign of the maturity of Fletcher Steel, New Zealand Steel um, and Liberty over in Australia that this part of the world we are leading in terms of steel-based EPDs. There aren't too many other EPDs that I'm aware of uh, around the world yet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a level of transparency, and I think we've gone beyond sort of hiding um, what what is in our product and, and the potential of, uh, mm. environmental impact. Mm. It's great that you've identified an um, RFP that's actually specifically requested an EPD. Is that common? Are you seeing that becoming something that, is on the table now or? I really want to say evolving? yes. <laughs> uh, it's at a start. We are, there are specific people who are, are more aware uh, and they tend to be foreign trained architects in particular who are definitely asking for this type of information. And as these type of EPDs um, become more prevalent for all the materials in the construction, they will quickly become the norm. So there is actually a sort of a first mover opportunity for steel to actually be having this conversation up front before other materials. And I think that's an opportunity for steel to be involved in a few more of these solutions where they may not necessarily have been considered based purely on the fact they've got this data here. In terms of being able to verify that someone's EPD is real and has been certified or um, accredited, how, how does a member of the public actually check that that is the case? So for New Zealand Steel and likewise specific steel products, our EPD is issued on our, our website. So that's colorsteel.com for our colour steel products. The, uh, also all the Australasian EPDs are um, available on a website epd-australasia.com. So they, they're there, they're available, readily available. And how important for your businesses do you think having the EPD is? Why have you actually chosen to go down that path? Well, increasingly uh, for for us, uh, our customers and end users are asking for that sort of information as well. We have inquiries, um, particularly around the green building rating tools, uh, inquiries around our environmental choice certification, um, declare, etc. Uh, so um, there, there is a lot of um, increasing knowledge around what they can ask for um, and the expectation that it, that it would be available. Yeah, likewise. I mean. It's just getting ahead of the curve. We can see it's going to become essentially a standard product that we need to have, um, which is great. So let's just get on and do it. Um, we're starting with simple materials on a material basis. I suspect you'll, st- you'll soon see things, EPDs for complete systems, multi-mixed materials installed on site. I think that's the next generation. Um, so and then they've just become part of the, the discussion, the, the narrative of how you build a, a building. How specifically rigorous do you think the process is? 
My, my only comment would be that the uh, EPD um, development process from my perspective as uh, an environmental scientist is, is that it does have rigour. Um, you know, we were interrogated for a whole range of data, so I'm, I'm very confident um, in that. And I think it's a, it's a way for, for companies to avoid um, greenwash criticism. Um, so, and, and that's important to be able to give that sort of uh, uncertainty to, to customers when they're asking for information. So obviously this government has a strong focus on getting to zero carbon um, and uh, low carbon environments. What specifically do you think that is going to do in terms of impact on the uptake of EPDs? Well, it seems to be that the, the model that the government's following is very similar to the UK model. Uh, which has been in place since about 2008 with their sort of five-year plans. So I would expect it to follow a similar trajectory. Um, And that legislative framework, these transparent uh, reportable documents are really a cornerstone to that. So that legislative framework, I'm fully expecting the first five-year plan for New Zealand to include things like EPDs as part of the the conversation and part of the, the structure of any building operation. So it seems like steel is leading the way in terms of adoption of EPDs, at least in New Zealand. Is that the case? And what, is, what does it look for look like in terms of other products? Oh, certainly I think steel, the industry can sort of uh, be proud of the fact that they've, they've driven this um, to, to the New Zealand market. Um, I, I know there are a number of other EPDs for some of the co- more common building materials coming out, jibboard, uh, um, the uh, concrete as well. Uh, so essentially you're getting what I think is a critical mass of EPDs, which that stage will let the classic population growth, slow population, then it will just explode. And I think, yeah, two, three years' time, uh, EPDs will just be, as I keep coming back to, just standard part of the conversation. And actually not having one puts you at a disadvantage in terms of getting your product material in the mix. So there you go. Thanks for joining our conversation with Claire and Scott today. If you'd like to connect more with them, their details are in the show notes. From my perspective, it's really inspiring to see our industry taking on the challenge of sustainability and our effect on the environment. I hope this has challenged your own thinking around your business and its impacts and what you can do to address them. After all, we don't inherit the earth from our ancestors, we borrow it from our children. Food for thought till we meet next time. So hit subscribe, and if you liked what you heard today, please like, review, or share with any metalheads you know. Let's spread the word. If you liked what you heard today and want to be part of building a better future for our industry, become a member of the Sustainable Steel Council. This is a group of industry leaders committed to the circular economy and New Zealand's low emission future. Our vision is to ensure steel is valued as a critical enabler of New Zealand's journey in this space by supporting its members to become leaders in delivering the Living Standards Framework. Details are in the show notes.